Welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in today, Thursday, September the 12th. Appreciate you tuning in today. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out West. If you're up and watching, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate John Kakoris coming on yesterday to talk about his uh, team and, and how he sets his teams up. I thought he had some really good things to say. And today, stopping by the show is a good friend of the show, someone who uh, we enjoy uh, online conversations with as well as offline conversations um, on and off air. Chris Kessel will be with us in a few minutes to uh, talk a little bit about some high school soccer, some things going on up his way in West Virginia, as well as some other topics. So uh, look forward to, to, to reconnecting with Chris here in just a few minutes. Yesterday, we left the show talking about uh, some of these, this this stack of paper that we wanted to get to, and uh, some articles, uh, and and these were three articles written by John Townsend, where he's looking at American soccer, and I wanted to go through some of them this morning and and revisit because uh, this first article, deconstructing the American game, the problems so many thought never existed, was written and published in October of 2017. And um, he brings up some some really, really important and critical points here. Uh, A diverse country with vast amounts of resources and a well-established sporting infrastructure has ensured these necessary elements. Diversity and resource allocation. And they are not utilized to maximize the American game. From the outside, American football looks like a buzzing and thriving sport. In many ways, that is true. However, looking past the dog and pony show, unsettling elements are at play. When he's talking about American football, he's talking about soccer. American soccer requires a shot of truth serum to make headway beyond merely being a participant in the global game. That shot shot might as well be rattlesnake venom because American soccer is indeed snake bitten. One of the things that he brings up right here at the very top is that American soccer needs a shot of truth serum before we go into any more of the article, I think that's a it's an important place to stop because when you are trying to figure out how to improve, how to build a business, how to make your team better, whatever whatever it is, if you are a leader and you're trying to figure out how do I take another step forward, how do I build whatever it is I'm doing up for to another level to make it better, to improve, etc. The first thing that we have to do is be honest with ourselves. It is a it is it is a personal level of accountability. 
in the 12 step program the first thing they that they that they teach step 1 acknowledge that you have a problem in american soccer we've got to quit sugarcoating things we've got to quit getting caught up in trying to to worry about pr how does this look to the public how can we sell this as a positive that comes from a from a mindset of inferiority real leaders and real leadership demands excellence and part of the demand of excellence is the demand for accountability for personal responsibility for being sober when it comes to the facts not trying to paint them to be what you want them to be now i certainly don't believe this is the only reason why the u.s soccer federation behaves this way but it's infusion with major league soccer doesn't help it makes it worse in this department and the reason being major league soccer is a business they are they they are a for-profit entity and those same owner operators own a second company soccer united marketing another for-profit business the u.s soccer federation is a non-profit business now it needs its dues and it needs its sponsor revenue to to continue to operate that is true however major league soccer is looking at a much larger amount of money in terms of potential they're trying to become a bona fide sports league they're not yet but that's their goal that's their aim they look at the big three in American sports, the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, all operating at or above $5 billion per year in revenue. Major League Soccer is less than 20% of those figures. But that's their goal. That's their aim. So they're always worried about bad press because they come at it from a position of we got to keep making this thing positive. We've got to keep trying to reach the community. We've got to keep trying to convince the public that, that we're good for the game, that they should spend their money with us, that if they want to do something in American soccer, they should do it through us. Don Garber's famous for saying that every dollar spent on soccer in America that doesn't go to MLS is a dollar loss. That is their worldview. They want everything to go through them, and so therefore they, they're always worried about bad press bad publicity bad uh, news getting out they don't want any of that to happen and they always want to paint things in a positive light because they're looking at it from a business perspective business meaning dollars revenue the federation has a different job their their primary job is not revenue as a nonprofit, it should be their mission, which is to make soccer their preeminent sport in America. That should be 
their primary purpose. But if you're going to make that your primary purpose and aim, if you're going to make that your goal, then the leadership should always be holding themselves personally accountable, but also those they lead accountable. We should be looking in the mirror and just being honest with ourselves, how we treat the U.S. women's national team, how we treat our leagues, those that are MLS and those that are not MLS. We should, we should look at how we treat our amateur clubs and our youth clubs with solidarity payments and training compensation, our former players like Hope Solo. We should be going through all of these scenarios and making sure that even within our own programs, our national teams, that our players are are taken care of, that they're safe, that there's no hazing, that there's that there's a culture of excellence in everything that we do. That regardless of your your race, the color of your skin, even your your first language, that you, if you're an American and you're in our program, that you're taken care of. And we do all these things based on excellence. Truth serum is needed within American soccer. And I think part of the reason why the U.S. Soccer Federation struggles with this is because they're so in bed with Major League Soccer. And they're so married to that worldview that MLS must succeed no matter what that they get into situations where it becomes a PR battle instead of an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to reach for excellence. So that's the first thing. And, 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 and that's a big thing. The best leaders, the best managers, the best coaches, the best executives, they're always demanding excellence of themselves, personal responsibility, personal accountability, And they're also demanding that of their players or their employees or their members. We're in this together. This is the the concept. We're in this together. This has to be better. Don't play to the standard of others. Let's play to a higher standard, our standard, our personal standards, our personal ambitions, of excellence. One of the things that comes out of that mentality when it comes to excellence is the way that you look at some of your goals. For example, if you were really about excellence and you are really about personal accountability and leadership and truth. John brings up this point and I think it's a, I think it's a very valid point in light of that mentality. 
The prevailing perspective should not solely focus on the failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, and he's referring to the U.S. men's national team. Rather, American football, American soccer, must frame its expectations differently. The more apt conversation should be about why the U.S. is not capable of challenging for the World Cup instead of merely not qualifying. Meaning, when he's, when he's saying challenging, he's talking about challenging to win the World Cup. Not just make the tournament. We should be trying to figure out why we are not on the precipice of victory when we are in World Cups. That being in World Cups should be a given. Once we get there, our goal, our ambition, our determination... Our focus is not on enjoying the tournament, but on competing to win the whole thing. And he rightly points out that that discussion requires addressing the plethora of issues and the lack of accountability from the top down. So when we're looking at what that means, what are the ramifications of that? Well, how do we handle our kids? How are we preparing our next generation of players? Are we bringing them up in environments that is healthy from a competitive standpoint? Or we just going through the motions and taking their parents' money. And if you don't think that happens, if you don't really think that's what's going on all over this country, that is what's happening. In a country of 300 million plus, with millions of registered players, we're not getting the job done. We should be producing world-class level players by the dozens, but we're not. He points out that the U.S. has coupled participation trophies as the ultimate reward instead of actual development in youth sports, mainly soccer must own up to something to some unsettling realities. If qualifying for the World Cup out of CONCACAF, a region designed for the United States and Mexico to emerge from is a standard, then it's clear mediocrity has become the standard. Qualifying for a World Cup is based on regions of the world. So you have Europe, you have Asia. We're in, an, in a region of North and Central America as a region, and, there, and our region is called CONCACAF. That is the confederation that governs regionally from Canada down to the Caribbean and, and Central America. And our region is set up for the United States and Mexico to qualify. 
and yet we didn't qualify in 2018. And if you look at the U.S. men's national team since then, since October of 2017, it's been nearly two years. I mean, we're coming up on weeks from being two full years, and we ha- are going nowhere fast. If anything, we've re- regressed from the place where we didn't qualify. I think we're worse today than we were in October 2017. And if you say, well, well, we're quality-wise, we're the same, then that means we are worse because the rest of the world keeps getting better. We can't count on the rest of the world staying at the same level. They're leaving us behind even if we're staying at the same level. So we're either improving at or above the rate that everyone else is improving or back to this truth serum moment, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and realize we're not getting there. So when Greg Berhalter says we're getting better, the next question from the media needs to be this. If you think we are getting better, are we getting better at or above the rate that other countries are getting better? If that answer is not emphatically yes, then we are getting worse. If a runner is a half a mile ahead of me running at 10 miles an hour and I'm running at five miles an hour, I speed up. I get better. I start running seven miles an hour. But let's say that 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 runner that was running 10 miles an hour is now running 13 miles an hour. Is that gap closing or getting bigger? So you can say you're getting better, but to say you're getting better without the follow-up question, well, in relation to the rest of the world, other teams around the world, are we getting better at or above the rate that they are getting better? That's how we really start to get some truth out of the national team manager. Are we actually getting better? You can't just look at your team. You have to realize is your your team is in a pool of other teams. If the other teams are getting better at or above the rate that your team is getting better and we were already behind, then we are worse off today than we were in 2017. And that's where I think we are. It's not enough to ask whether or not U.S. soccer from a federation level wants to merely participate or if it intends to actually compete on the world stage. Here's why. For the last 25 years, American soccer, American football, fell into a cycle of congratulatory acclaim for triumphs on the men's side, hosting the 94 World Cup, setting up Major League Soccer and keeping it afloat, and qualifying for seven consecutive World Cups since 1990. Now, keep in mind, 94 was an automatic berth due to hosting. For all the good those milestones did, other countries within CONCACAF improved too, largely due to the resources available within the United States. 
The American game finds itself at a crossroads whose intersection is the focal point where questions, accusations, and troubling realizations have collided. For the first time in recent memory, issues that continue to hamper development now dominate all American soccer-centric discussions and debate. Before change can occur, can occur the identif- identifying the ills and shortcomings of the system must be addressed, starting with the entities that dictate and run U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer, and Soccer United Marketing. This collection of people and businesses controlling American soccer's trajectory look determined to continue to resist the systemic reform and wholesale changes necessary to maximize the potential of American soccer. We are going nowhere fast. And part of the reason we are going nowhere fast is precisely because of the fact that we have not been willing to look ourselves in the mirror and speak truth to ourselves and to one another. That part, that step, that first step is where we have to go. That's where we have to be in order for us to see progress and make things better. Speaking of making things better... Ducktig brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com makes things better. They have amazing products that you should check out at D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Use the promo code DW show to get 10% off of your next order. Again, that is DW show to get 10% off of your next order. They make the game better. They make it easier for kids to watch, easier for kids to plan out their own personal training sessions or to track a game and learn how the pros actually play the game. For you coaches, goalkeepers, there are a lot of tools and resources there. Check them out at DUKTIGbrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Chris Kessel.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, September the 12th. Like to welcome a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, a guy that is on the front lines every day fighting the good fight for American soccer, American soccer reform in his local community, and that is none other than Chris Kessel. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm great this morning. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming on. As always, we appreciate it. Um, I want to jump right in. Uh, There's an interesting story that uh, I saw up in West Virginia concerning a high school team getting disbanded. And then as of yesterday, it looks like they they were uh, reformed, uh, re-sanctioned. Can can you give us a little bit of background info on that story? What what high school, where did this happen? and, and, And what were some of the details going on behind the scenes? So it's um, Polka High School. They actually have this amazing nickname. They're called the Polka Dot. It's amazing. So they, they're they in uh, Putnam County, West Virginia, who has this very, um, we'll just call it unique um, thing where they have minimum squad sizes for all the sports. It's this very, very arbitrary team size. And they established that 15 was the amount of kids that had to be on a soccer team, right? It's a very small high school. It's only a few hundred kids. And um, they had exactly 15 come out for boys' soccer. They just started the program four years ago. So they're still in a very – it's a building phase of the total program, right? And um, a kid became ineligible for some reason – and they dropped to 14, and the uh, the Board of Education said, okay, we're disbanding the team. This is after the team had already played one-third of the season. And, no, they didn't provide any kind of, you know, the policy manual. Nobody had seen anything. None of the parents, none of the players, the community, you know, the boosters. Nobody had any idea what was going on. It was just out of thin air to them. Nobody had ever heard of this rule or anything. And um, there was a giant mobilization of the community. You know, people were calling the board every day. Politicians were getting involved. And um, magically, the policy manual was finally uh, given out by the Board of Education. And it shows that... Contrary to what had been said, players could be added after the season started as long as they dropped below the minimum amount of kids on the team. And the next day, because kids had been saying, hey, I want to join the team so that my classmates don't lose their season. Like, you know, wonderful kids in the community that didn't know how to play were like, I'll play just so that my friends don't lose their season. And they had been told, no, no, no. And then the day afterwards, the policy manual had came out. Boom. The team gets reinstated because they allow kids to come onto the team. It was just a really, really crazy situation. And um, luckily it had this very positive outcome of the team was being reinstated. They actually have their first game back tonight. And um, from looking at 
because there's a giant Facebook group about it now and the soccer team and like the whole school's coming out to support it. They're bringing cowbells and all this. Like I have a feeling that this is probably going to be the best supported game that this team's ever had in its short history. The whole community's coming out. You know, the whole community was mobilized behind this team and this school. And um, there's going to be an amazing atmosphere. You know, I was actually, it's about 20 miles away from where I live. I was thinking about after my practice tonight, running down to the game just to check it out and show my support. It, it's it's going to be fun, you know, to see how this works and what this does for the program in that community. You know, nothing mobilizes a community like high school sports, man. Nothing. Speaking of high school sports, um, well, first, before we get to to high school sports, I I do want to say that I think that um, that this is a a happy ending to what looked like was going to be yet another situation where adults mess the game up for kids. Um, And, and, you know, I've said this for years in, in running youth sports organizations, my own teams, that parents are often the biggest problem in youth sports. Adults are the biggest mm-hmm. problem, right? We, met, we, we, just, we, we mess things up. We get in the way uh, of the kids, and we wonder why kids walk away from the sport. Uh, no matter what sport you're talking about, around the age of 12 or 13, half the time it's because adults have figured out a way to make it not fun anymore uh an enjoyable experience to to be there to participate um you know if we want kids to to keep playing we should be trying to figure out ways that that makes that more enjoyable doesn't i'm I'm not talking about powder puff uh you know juice box participation trophy world that's that's certainly not the land that i live in but uh you can still make a a a, a worthwhile experience something that they enjoy doing uh even without having to try to make it a participation trophy type uh scenario or culture i i don't think that's what's mucking it up i think it's situations like this where adults just mm-hmm. get in the way of um you know, of a situation like this, uh, and you see it, and it's not just in in American soccer. It, it is in other sports um, that, that you see adults messing things up uh, all the time, and often it's the kids that that suffer the punishment um, in, in that regard as well. But uh, when we look at high school sports, and specifically high school soccer, um, you know, my my brother in law has been a coach in inner cities, um, inner city schools for much of his career. And, um, those, those kids, a good chunk of them would not have the, the, the opportunity to play the game. Some of them did not even play organized soccer until they got to high school because there was no program in their community to play as a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. and these are communities that before you go off thinking, okay, well, he he just must be in a community that, that doesn't care or, or, you know, about kids or, or any of that, or, or doesn't have potential. This area, um, that I'm referring to is an area that has produced NFL players, not caliber players, NFL players, and not just one. It's not a freak accident. I mean, these they're, they're athletes that have come out of that area um, that 
you know, became really good American football players, played at big schools, made it to the NFL and had big successful careers coming out of that area. And then these other, these other kids who choose for, for whatever reason, maybe, maybe it's their height, maybe it's interest, um, whatever the case may be, choose to, 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 to not play American football. They had no opportunity to play American soccer, until they got to high school and then they come out to to play and um you, you know you can imagine their touch was not the greatest but their love of the game was there and uh and the comment that I kept hearing when I would come around the team is man I wish I would have had this as a kid and and high school soccer became that first light for them and uh, and for so many kids in this country that cannot afford the what, what I believe adults have screwed up, which is the access for kids to play soccer at a high level. Um, high school soccer for them might be their only opportunity as they get older to to keep playing the game. Uh, yeah, what do you see up there in West Virginia with kids? Uh, in participation with school, I know you said uh, about about uh, this school in particular about school pride and, and other students wanting to step up to help. W- what is the outlook or, or the the local view of high school soccer and its importance uh, to these kids? So you know, high school and and in a bunch of communities, middle school soccer. We have scholastic soccer is a big deal. You know. Um, I, you know, my oldest daughter is in middle school still, and uh, I went to the county middle school championship game last year. Uh, she, her team didn't make it, but we went and watched. You know, we have friends to play for the other schools, and it was almost a sellout. There were two thousand people at the game. Like, you're not going to find a U14 club game in this country that draws two thousand people anywhere. I don't care what community you're in. But two small town teams, one was very rural and one was a private school, 2,000 people. You can go to high school games and catch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people watching the games. The state championship game draws three, 4,000 people, you know, for the boys and the girls. It's a big deal. It's just like any other high school sport. Um, the club game shuts down in the fall. That's when our scholastic season is, obviously. The, the club game shuts down because all the kids are playing and representing their school. They really care. You know, the community cares. The parents care. And um, the social aspect of the game, you know, the pride that the kids feel putting on that jersey can't be replicated, you know, in the club game. It, it just cannot in the way that the game is structured now where, you know, you cut the check and you're on the team or I'm on the B team and maybe I'll get it put on the A team. It just cannot be replicated by walking out with the varsity and starting and having hundreds of your friends from school there watching you. And, you know, that sense of fulfillment of I earned this position, you know, that can't be replicated in any, in, in the, the rest of the thing. And I, I fully understand when people say, oh, well, the quality of game isn't as high and, and all this and all that. And we just have to be very cognizant 
the, the people who tell us that high school and middle school soccer don't matter and all these other things that, that they say about that game and, you know, recreational soccer doesn't really matter. We're concerned with the highest level and all this. We have to be very cognizant that those people get paid off of that part of American soccer. Because to me, all of the kids matter. Like, we should be figuring out a way to help every kid have the best experience in this game in the country. Because you never know who and what's going on. Like, there's a kid who plays high school soccer here in Charleston who literally last year at this time was in an MLS academy dominating. But his parents decided that that wasn't what was best for him anymore. You know, and... There are really, really, really good players playing high school soccer all across this country, and to ignore it is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, to me, it's absolutely ridiculous that we have, I I don't remember what the number is, but I think it's like 900,000 high school soccer players in this country. And to act like 900,000 players don't matter, and a a portion of the game in this country that 900,000 players play doesn't matter. It just shows how, I mean, lost leadership is and not figuring out a way to work with, you know, what is it, M- uh, NFHS, the, you know, the high school, the people that manage the high school game across this country, how to not work with them and, and try to integrate, you know, U.S. soccer and, you know, the, the scholastic game all across the country how to not better integrate or at least work together to have the rules all on the same page or, or something, you know, to make the game work better. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, I just can't, it's frustrating. I think is the word I'm really looking for. It's frustrating that the leadership is just so stuck on themselves. And if it's not our way, it's the highway that they can't help bring everybody into the circle. Yeah, and 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 that to me, um, you, you have to get back. And I've been talking about this a lot on the show recently about worldview and uh, the world. I, I believe the worldview of, of U.S. soccer in relation to Major League Soccer is that MLS must succeed no matter what. And um, and when and when you hold that as a worldview in regards to in, in into Major League Soccer as the U.S. Soccer Federation, it has a big influence on your decisions because Major League Soccer's view of Amer- of the American soccer landscape and Don Garber's on record saying as such is that every dollar spent on um, on soccer in this country that does not go to or through Major League Soccer is a dollar lost. That's his yeah. view of, of the American soccer ecosystem. I understand that as a as a leader of a business, right? You want to you want to you want to become, you know, the the, the big uh, overwhelming monopolist financially uh, in in the way that a lot of, of the early twentieth century capitalists, um, entrepreneurs were able to do, you're looking at soccer as a way that you, you, you as a, as a, as a business can do that. I understand that as an ambition 
as a private company. My issue is when that private company is intertwined with the leadership of the U.S. Soccer Federation and thus having in essence, de facto monopolistic control over the market, its competitors, and the and the soccer landscape in general, and having big influence on the decision-making at the federation level. That's where we get into issues. And, and, and as you rightly point out, it's very hard for Major League Soccer to leverage high school or scholastic soccer for revenue. It's very diff. It's it, it, it's going to be very difficult for them to to ever pull that off. So it, it's never going to be something that they want to see excel or succeed. And you know, quite frankly, you know, I, I think that one of the things that that states could do uh, if they were serious about the game at, at a at a governmental level outside of the U.S. Soccer Federation would be to turn the high schools into de facto soccer clubs. And what I mean by that is, and I've been thinking about this a lot, um, rather than limiting a high school soccer season into a condensed period of time, very similar to what happens in college soccer, stretch out that season to be a fall through spring sport where you're not trying to play two or three games in a week. You're playing a game, you know, every week and your soccer team functions as a club all year long. And the kids are training with their coaches and they're playing uh, their other local high schools. I actually think if we did that at, at for, for a big chunk of kids now i'm not saying that there aren't some kids that that should be in in professional academies you know that are are at a different level i get it all right so don't come at me with that I, i totally understand that but for the overwhelming large majority of kids even kids that may one day become professionals a high school environment where they're training every afternoon and they're playing a game once a week and, and doing that instead of for three months or four months stretched out from, say, September through through April, um, it, to me, would have a much bigger impact on improving the overall pool of players uh, and in that you are now making the game more accessible to more kids, regardless of socioeconomic factors. And, uh, and, and you know, looking at the the player pool i mean i see it there are kids that play for high school soccer teams in overwhelming numbers that do not play for expensive pay-to-play clubs in every city um it's so 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 it's not that these kids don't want to play the game it's that for whatever reason their parents have felt like it's too expensive or the kids have felt like it's too expensive or they don't like the, the 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 club mentality whatever it is whatever their reasons are are their reasons and that 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 is part of the conversation however I think if we if we were really concerned as a federation how do we get more kids playing how do we grow the game? That Aspen study I cited on the, the show the other day actually showed a growth in high school soccer, where in other aspects of American soccer, it's decreased by almost a half a million kids over the last five years. What, what, what do right. you think about doing something like that in, in the land of scholastic soccer? 
So the the funny thing is, is like that's very similar to what I already do. So we decided when I took over the youth club that I run that you know you have if you don't have a mission, you know, that and a, a real goal that you're working towards that's and I I, I appreciate people that go oh. We we just want kids to play. We just want to give them a place to play. That's that's fine. Like we decided, our goal was we were going to support the high school and the middle school programs in our catchment area. Like the the elementary schools that we draw the youngest players from, they all end up at one high school. So we decided that we were going to totally support. The, we have two middle schools and one high school. We were going to totally support that program. And uh, and that's what we've done. So during the off-season for the high school, which obviously we are in season much longer than they are, we work with our middle school teams and our high school teams to keep them together and playing. And we, like all of our teams wear the high school colors, you know, we're gray and blue, you know, like Capital High School. You know, they're the Cougars, you know, and we wear the same exact colors and uniforms that they wear in the offseason. Our little kids do it. We work with the high um, teams while they're in season, and they come and volunteer with the littlest kids so that there is this total, we, got, we, we call it program building, because we want to give these kids this big reason to keep playing and to care and to want to get better and to have the parents care because we talk about it all the time. Culture matters. And we're, which matters more? Like, you know, having hundreds and hundreds of parents that care about the game at this level beyond what's going to happen to my personal kids. You know, and everybody cares what's going to happen to their personal kid and their personal, you know, their, their own kid and their own development. And they care about that the most. But can we change the culture around the game for our kids so that our parents and all the, kids, the, the adults in the community care about all the kids and the entirety of this program? And how can we do something to help get everyone better and change development for hundreds of kids instead of people only doing one kid at a time and the kid that's theirs? So... We did that, and we started that model a few years ago. And then as I talked and talked and talked to more people in the community, because, like, I, you know, we've discussed this a lot. Like, we have, like, a, a little bit of a different system in West Virginia, and it's going to sound really funny, but, you know, for such a, you know, a state that people think very backwards, West Virginia soccer is very progressive and lets us do kind of whatever we feel like is appropriate for our own club and our own community and if we have ideas and we say we want to do this the state really is supportive this was before i was on the board that, that's the reason why i'm on the board you know is because they're very supportive and we've talked that a bunch of other clubs have started using the same model now these aren't the ones that are going and trying to be in regionals and when you know playing the national league and the great lakes you know premier league and all like these are just the local community clubs. And, um, you know, in other states they call it, like, community travel or whatever. That's sort of the lowest level of soccer here. 
And what's happening is, is lots and lots of the local clubs are starting to do exactly what you're talking about. They're working hand-in-hand with Scholastic Soccer. And this change over the last three or four years has happened. And what we've seen happen from that is, is clubs are growing rapidly. Like, we've added... You know, I, I don't I, I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, but last spring, our girls U14 through U18 participation was up something like 800% in the last four years. 800%. You know, that, that to me speaks that this is working. You know, and it's not... You know, and the thing is, is all that we get in feedback from certain people who it may be hurting their bottom line that girls are choosing to not play for their pay-to-play club, but continue, you know, wanting to pay for play for their, you know, with their community, you know, with the kids that they go to school with, you know, they don't seem to like it, but the parents like it, the kids like it, you know. It's increasing enrollment. It's increasing participation. And it's getting a lot of kids better. I mean, like, the quality of play of, like, middle school soccer over the last few years is through the roof. Like, instead of there only being, like, two or three good teams that are full of the formerly year-round players from travel soccer, now you have, like, eight teams full of, around players because their community decided that this is important for us and they're all playing all year and the, the quality of play is through the roof. Like, you know, this season, now that everybody's been playing year round for like three years, it's, I mean, I, I was blown away. I've watched a few games already this year. Like I said, my oldest daughter and I know a lot of the kids and it's through the roof. And this is a model that can be done all across the country as long as, you know, every community has a But when you have these clubs of 20,000 players, I think we lost Chris for a second. Uh, we will see if, uh, if we get, if we get him back. Um, I, I, I definitely hear hear where he's going and I think we lost him and we'll see uh, see if we get him back here in just a second um, the, I definitely understand where he's going with this which is basically there is an there is an identity with your community there is a a school pride school spirit um, a community spirit uh, that has a different connection and a different level of connection to the community and um you know, I've seen it time and time again. Let's see if we can get Chris back on uh, the air. Chris, are you there? I'm, I'm back. Sorry. I'm, you know, I, I have a day job. I'm driving to work. I, I, I hit a little spot with no service, I guess. But to finish that thought, sure. and I don't, you know, uh, if there, if you had, if the cons- this consolidation keeps happening, you know, which we've seen across, in the club game all across the country and, and, Thousands and thousands of kids are playing for these, you know, they call them clubs, but they're really not. They're just money machines at this point. But if every community loses its club, 
You know, it loses this cornerstone of soccer in its community. You can't use this model anymore. And you can't tie together scholastic soccer. And you can't tie together the kids in the community. And you can't do right by most of the kids. And, you know, to me, what's happened is, is the people in power at every level. I mean, the macro of MLS is in charge down to the micro of every community doesn't have a say anymore and every community doesn't have a club and every community can't do right by its own kids because people, adults, have decided what's best for adults. Just like you to bring it full circle back to, you know, the adults ruining Polka High School, potentially ruining Polka High School season. You know, adults have decided what was best for adults. And I, I just don't believe that having clubs, you know, that control 10,000 kids or 5,000 kids or whatever these massive clubs are, are doing right now is what's best for the community. You know, it might be what's best for the top one-tenth one of 1% of players, but, you know, how many other kids are we hurting? How many other kids are losing a passion for the game because, you know, it's they're just a part of a giant – they're a part of Walmart, you know, soccer Walmart, as opposed to a local store that actually cares about them as people, you know, providing soccer for them. And it it's frustrating, man. I, I like – you know, that's the – I think – we talk all the time, you know, I don't, I don't think people actually realize that me and you are really actually friends, and we talk all the time, and it's frustrating, and we talk about how frustrating so many of these decisions are, and um, and it, it has to be hurting the bottom line when it comes to youth participation, how frustrated parents are, how frustrated kids are, you know, that, that they can't participate at the level that's appropriate for them and that it's hard for coaches to get coaching education and it's hard, you know, everything about doing this game is becoming harder and harder and harder and more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. And until we have systemic reform that allows communities to work together and these, you know, disparate organizations to work together, you know, if, if until that happens, you know, we're going to continue to see the game stagnate. You know, we're going to continue to see the game participation dropping, the game's participation dropping. You know, we're going to continue to see all of this stuff happen. You know, we're not going to continue. We're not going to see better player development. You know, we're not going to see cultural growth around the game. And, you know, people want to support sports. People want to support their community. I mean, it's that simple. People want to support. And we're not giving them a reason to right now. You know, we're we're allowing you know, the entrenched the other sports that are entrenched at community organizations to continue to rule local sports. We're allowing high school football to stay king of the hill and high school basketball to stay king of the hill. Because we won't allow communities to exist in a way that they can be proud of their community. Well, look, I, I, 
Absolutely. And and one point I want to make as you're as you're talking through this is when you look at the decisions that have been made, and oftentimes they they, they are decisions that are are made and, and, and proclamations go along with those decisions. And those proclamations are, we're trying to grow the game. We're trying to improve the game. We're trying to make it better. And, and a lot of times they'll even throw in, you know, for, for the players. But if you look at the actual decisions, how are the players getting the better end of these decisions? For example, higher prices meaning less families can afford the cost. How is that better for the kids? It's not. When you, when you look at consolidation and you now take, you know, what may have been two, three, four, five clubs and you turn them into one club and now for matches and oftentimes even for training, Kids are traveling in the car, longer distances, more hours, less time on the ball, more time in the car. Is that better or worse for the kids? That's worse for the kids. Right? So, like, and you run through decision after decision, and I I, I look at these things and I go, how is it better for the kids? I mean, you can you can make the claim that we're trying to build something bigger and something better because we you know we want to make something you know look really really great and nice and fancy and whatever for the kids. You can make that claim, but when you actually get into what's happening and you look at the 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 drop in registration numbers within American soccer, and yet the high school soccer participation is going up. To me it's not hard to start connecting the dots that the more that we've placed a value as a federation with pay to play soccer, meaning what we can get from parents is what we value their money rather than what we can give to them and their kids, which is value. So we, we've placed the value on the dollar and we, we, we claim, you know, all of these different things as being benefits or good things for the, the kids, for the players themselves, when in fact, what we've done is actually made claims to support the fact that we're just trying to figure out ways to get more money, to make more money. Uh, just, just, just think about it this way. I mean, this is the most simple way to think about it. Would you rather charge twice as much and work with half as many kids to make the same amount of money and have your job be twice as easy or would you work want to do half as much work with twice as many kids and make the same amount of money i mean and that's we have to always be cognizant of the people telling us what's happening and why it's happening you know we have to look at their reasoning behind it if they're going to make the same amount of money for working with half as many kids and have to work half as hard, they're going to choose to do that. You know, and there are, and I know there are going to be people that say, oh, I would never do that and this and that. And this. But there are people that will do that. They'll do it in a heartbeat. 
you know, because they care about their paycheck and they care about their job. They don't care about your kid, you know, and we have to always be worried about what's the motivation of the people making decisions about youth sports. And, you know, and uh, it's, it's important for us to always, you know, worry about that. And that's why representation on every decision-making body is very, very important. If you care about your community and you care about the game, you need to be on your club's board, you need to be on your league's board, and you need to be on your state board. Like, being in the room when decisions are made is very important. You can hold people accountable at a different level when you're in the room than you can when you react to the decisions that they made. When you're able to be there when they make the decision, and these decisions matter. Like, if you're in the room when they're discussing mergers, that matters. When you're in the room, when they discuss how you're structuring your local league, that matters. When you're in the room at the state level and they're discussing rule changes and how we're going to handle this and that situation and everything, that matters. And you can't help change it at the highest level if you don't work your way up through the lowest levels. You can't just show up and say, I want to be on the USU soccer board. You have to work your way up through it. And if you care, and you want to see kids done right by, you have to start at the lowest level. And I implore people, the people that are listening today that really care, I implore you to go and be involved with the governance of this game at the lowest levels so that you can help stave off this gutting of youth soccer in America that's happening right now. Like, they, they can paint over it, and we can look through rose-colored glasses and whatever. The game is being gutted at the lowest levels, you know, at the youth soccer levels. Participation is falling, you know, uh, unhappiness is up. They're, they're, you know, access is down. Consolidation is up. Communities are underrepresented. You know, underrepresented. There's been, there's no forward thinking and change. Like, look at all the negative articles about this youth soccer task force. Like, there were members that didn't even know who the other members on it was, and that's who's supposed to be saving the game for kids. Like, you know, with all this discussion, you know, we have to make sure that we also say that all of this discussion is is how to fix the game in the way that's structured now. You know, when really, if we would change how the game was structured, you know, macro level, you know, then every community would have more control over how it was done at the community level. Like right, right now, the way that everything's structured is, is we have this dictating to the communities how you're going to do soccer by those in power. Whereas if there was a radical change in how soccer was structured overall, we would be able to run our communities the way that we saw best for our own community because there would be a club in every community and every community would be out there trying to do what was best for theirs, you know, their club and their community. Well, I, I, I definitely think that a, a federalist approach 
to U.S. soccer would be much better than the council approach uh, that is currently in place um, that would put put more uh, decision-making power into the communities across the country uh, rather than uh, into the hands of about 30 people, um, you know, get to determine what happens in this country uh, rather than, than the hundreds that already currently vote. And so I think, you know, Maybe uh, maybe that, that's another element that we need to uh, to look at in that regard. Well, Chris, look, thanks for, for coming on the show. Thanks for, for being with us today. Um, really, uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us. As always, everyone, you can you can connect with Chris at the Chris Kessel. Um, check out his blog, prorailforusa.blogspot.com. And um, he's got a bunch of great articles, really good resources there for you to check out as well. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, as always, buddy, uh, have a great day. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon off air. And um, and, and I'm glad to see that the, uh, the, the Polka High School situation has gotten resolved in a good way. And um, I hope those kids have a great night tonight. Talk to you later, man. All right, man. That is Chris Kessel. Thanks for uh, for tuning in today. Thanks for watching the show. As always, you can check us out at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or Instagram at DanielWorkman. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you again tomorrow.